1: Hello, I'm Lisa Francesca Nand and you're listening to The Big Travel Podcast. This episode could not be any more travelly if I tried, but just before I get onto that, I wanted to ask you to head over to iTunes and leave us a little review and subscribe from whatever way you're listening. That way you don't miss out on any of the guests we've got coming up, which include Andrea McLean from ITV's Loose Women, author and Twitter star Giles Paley-Phillips, PR guru and presenter of the Media Masters podcast, that's Paul Blanchard, and many, many more. On to today's guest, though, who is travel royalty, and I'm sure you're going to love him. To whom does the world turn when there's a travel story in the news, when they've been ripped off by a rogue merchant or just want to plan their next trip? To Simon Calder of course our best known travel expert he's the man who pays his way he's hitchhiked all over the world and he's also the man who over 12 years ago gave me my first official travel writing commission so I owe him everything as an impoverished travel writer I can't of course offer him money but I can bring him onto the big travel podcast and share his wonderful wisdom with the world please welcome for this travel packed episode Mr Simon Calder You are Mr. Travel, and everyone in the UK knows you and loves you. You, you might not be aware of
0: this. <laughs> you should see my... Um twitter feed when i venture things about the railways which aren't perhaps completely in tune with what uh, commuters think and then um I, I some very fairly strong emotions none of which are can remotely be described as love
1: i think uh, the contrary whenever i've told anyone that i'm going to be interviewing you like and i put this out on my facebook page yesterday and i'm going to read you some of the comments oh, actually um... my friend sally who's a very sensible mother of two from Oxfordshire, she said she she said i love him can you ask him I almost didn't tell you this, but um, because you might feel a bit uncomfortable in a closed room with me. But uh, she said, Can you ask him to sign my pants if I post them to him? <laughs> and lots of other people, I, I love him. Can you give him a kiss from me, says Judith. We've got. Um... I'm, from I'm not used to this. <laughs> Who else have I got? I've got. Uh, yeah, can you sign his pa- and my pants? David Robinson said, he's an Abtus superstar. Upset him at your peril, Chessie. I was like, I'm not going to upset you. Jackie Vaugh says, I love him too. Can you ask him what he dreads to be asked?
0: Ah, I dread to be asked that question. <laughs> um, no, uh, you can ask me anything you want to. I will try and be um, uh, helpful and um, honest and straightforward. I dread but... to be
1: asked, as a travel professional who's travelled about 10% of what you have, I dread to be asked what's my favourite place because I honestly can't choose something. And I'd probably say London because I live here.
0: Yeah, that's a, a very, very good... Uh, answer should i do my favorite place well it's probably when the sun shines scotland which it does sometimes and every year i try to go to a new part of scotland it's a vast and wonderful country and it's uh terrific in terms of um not obviously the mountains because um well last year i climbed ben nevis for the very first time and, I mean, it's just a big hill, which isn't particularly attractive at, uh, on the world scale of mountains. And that's as high as it gets. But it does it does have the character of being able to look uh, uh, astonishingly moody. And the combination of feeling that you're at the raw edge of the earth, where you're particularly on the Western Isles, somewhere like um, the island of Harris, which, of course, is same part of the same landmass as the island of Lewis, in a strange Scots way, um, you just feel that this is uh, maybe the final frontier. So Scotland's pretty good and you can also get of course these days very decent food and drink, easy to get to, relatively easy to travel around and um, what's not to like apart from occasionally the weather. and. Sometimes in some of the midges.
1: That's what I like about you. Your very your travel is very accessible. You're not you're not fancy, are you? You're not one for like going to five star resorts. I do all that stuff for you. I know
0: it's so good of you, (laughs) Lisa. Um, The uh, yeah the uh, five star resort. Well, I mean it's fine. I've 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 glimpsed inside some of them. I um, was hitchhiking through Greece once and got a lift with the manager of the Mark Warner, who took me there and said, here well, help yourself to lunch. I couldn't believe it. the best thing which <laughs> happened all week. And did I, you hit I, the champagne bar? No, I didn't funnily enough, but I did uh, did enjoy that and I, I've had a warm warm feeling for the company ever since, of course, and I, I took my family on holiday and that was just fine. But I think really posh places, I feel sort of slightly uncomfortable. It's, it's, doesn't this happen to you? you? You go into a hotel lobby, and somebody's trying to pick up your case. Yeah, I feel a bit uncomfortable about that. And um,
1: we're British people aren't very good with the whole. Shall we no. tip? Shall we? Can I just carry my own case? You know, well, I'm in and
0: and the you know, here I I'm 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 going okay. You can take your own case, but I'm going to come with you to the room so you can tell. I can tell you how the lights work. Yeah. Well, I've been in hotel rooms before, pal, and I know how the lights work. I so,
1: hate that awkward moment yeah. when they're showing you around and you're kind of standing yeah. there and you're thinking, get out of my room, this yeah. is just awkward. I, shall I
0: what uh, Is it, I don't is know it what $5? What, what's, it, what's, uh, what, what's he expecting? It's all just... Um, yeah, it's it's quite tricky and you don't get any of that at the lower end of the budget scale, I would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, stick with the lower end. I'll get on to that because I'm very interested about your The Man Who Pays His Way and I know a lot of people are interested about that angle of thing because, you know, a lot of travel is, is sponsored, so it's very interesting. But let me carry on with my listener questions. Ooh. Sam Brown says, can you ask him about the future of the package holiday as it seems ah. to be in decline with more and more people booking separate elements rather than the traditional package?
0: Sam, that's such a pertinent question because... July the 1st, an absolutely key date in the history of the package holiday, that is when everything which looks like a package holiday becomes legally a package holiday, and that's really important. Now, the tra- package holiday was the way that many of us began travelling. I mean, I know you were already in Spain, lucky you, but but those of us who had to, uh, who didn't have family and, and, and roots there, had to get there somehow, and it was obviously far too expensive to fly on the scheduled airlines so instead you buy a package holiday and it was the original low-cost travel they fill up planes they fill up hotels they put on the connecting buses and it's a great business model it started to unravel in the in the noughties when the big package holiday companies that's thompson as was tui as is uh thomas cook etc failed to Recognize what was happening. Thompson and and Air Tours both had a go at getting into the sort of low cost airline business. They both really failed um, in terms of getting a scheduled operation up and running, and they were just kind of left behind. and In in the vacuum that was created of people wanting, actually, I don't want to go for. A week I want to go for six days or nine days or whatever and I don't want to stay in that hotel I'd rather find that place down there that was filled by people doing it themselves which is great although um, I've made plenty of pitfalls now I dare say even you have in messing up uh, bookings but also by online travel agents who just said ha we'll we'll sell you the a, a perfect holiday and it's only when you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page it says oh when we say holiday We don't actually mean we're going to sell you a holiday. What we're going to sell you is um, flights uh, direct from this airline and accommodation direct from this hotel. If you've got any problem, off you go. Sort it out with them. Now, 1st of July 2018, all that changes for purchases made from that date onwards. If it looks like a package holiday, it is a package holiday with all the rights that come with it. And If we can just go back over a few of the recent calamities, let's say the collapse of Monarch, at that point people who booked through an online travel agent were basically just told you're on your own you might have to buy new flights at six times what you originally paid holiday companies have much more of an obligation to find alternatives for people and to help them complete their trip so holiday is very good sam thank you for the question um and actually sort of coming back and i think the more that people understand the consumer protection that comes with the package holiday, which is basically from the moment you turn up at Gatwick or Manchester or East Midlands, the holiday company has to deliver what it's promised you um the more people understand that i think they, they will continue to flourish
1: i know anecdotally i know lots of people who still book packages it oh, especially yeah, I people do. with young children because i think it's just easy and okay we we did have the freedom to look around and book a hotels and search for the cheapest flights and everything but sometimes it's easier to just get it all done for you what people don't do is go into a travel agent and do it people tend to just do it online
0: yeah well um A proper travel agent who you can talk to, whether that's someone on the phone, whether it's somebody in your high street you go and see, is really, if it's somebody you trust and who understands what your holiday needs are, that is absolutely invaluable. And yeah, you might end up paying a bit more, but it's worth it because you're using the services of a professional. What I would caution people against going on the internet and just putting in cheap flight to Malaga or going through a search engine to find a cheap flight and then just booking through the first agent they see, because online travel agents, um, they have a perfectly good place, um, but you are probably going to find that if things go wrong, um, you're not going to get the kind of help that you might want. So I get multiple cases of people who have booked a a flight maybe misspelled a name now if you've done that direct with the airline or with a good gone travel
1: Gre- agent, Granada in Spain instead of uh, the uh,
0: Gren- Grenada, <laughs> yes, yes, Grenada yes 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 it. and, and uh, how many more of those Dulles in Washington rather than Dallas in Texas Dakar in Senegal rather than Dakar in Bangladesh ah. uh, so a proper travel agent will, will help you uh, avoid those problems but uh, I, I meant more things like you, you spell your name very slightly wrong um, an ordinary travel agent uh, going direct to the airline they will sort it all out in a trice. Online travel agents will quite often say, "Oh sorry, yeah you've lost all your money you've got to buy a completely new yes. trip and that appears to be part of the business model, knowing that one in 10, 20 people will make a mistake and they are absolutely going to cash in. It's not That's just mean,
1: isn't it? It's mean. Yes. Uh, Mark Carter, who's from BBC Sussex and BBC Surrey, um, he says, how many requests do you receive in a typical week for radio and TV interviews? Now, I have a vested interest in this one because the <laughs> stuff that you don't get, I get, maybe about pick up about 10% of your work. And I have, <laughs> a, I have a confession to make. is I have this joke when I go and see TV and radio people and they've asked me to come in. I was like... And, and actually, other people, when they say, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, do you know Simon Calder? And they say yes, and I was like, well I pick up about 10% of his work that he can't do when he's out the country, and then my little joke is, if he disappears don't come looking to me, and everyone, <laughs> everyone sort of laughs awkwardly and now well, you're feeling even more vulnerable in a room on your own mm-hmm. room, but no, it's, yeah, how many requests say, uh, oh no, it all depends
0: good? what's happened a typical week, zero um, although if it's BBC, Surrey and Sussex obviously um, I will do what I can to, to help them, um, it all depends what's happening, and, and, and you will know um, that there's no rhyme nor reason to what happens in travel. I'm just constantly amazed that so many things can go wrong. Let's just go back to the late May bank holiday. So it's half term, all the families going away for from Stansted, tens of thousands of people, many of whom lost their flights because lightning struck the fuel supply system and therefore everything falls over. So what are your rights? What's happening? Why has it happened? Um, what can you expect the travel companies to do? And I really, really wish I was never ever asked again because it would mean that travel was going really quite well um, and that. Airlines were telling people what their rights were, so I didn't have to.
1: And Judith says, um, where where do you go on holiday when you're not going for work? Now the last time I interviewed you about travel, you were you used to go to Belgium quite a bit, yeah, did you, with Belgium's the family? Great, I remember the yeah. Belgian beach, Belgian beaches you oh, about. Well
0: i moved on from there. Oh, and it's very nice of you to remember that. Um, to the Polish Riviera, the Costa del Baltic it's great for young families. Now I believe your children are what, three and five. Um so perfect. Not too hot in the summer and that's a real serious thing while while the Costa del Sol is great, yeah the middle of the day there is is not great for, for children. So you're you're nice and far north and it also everything costs almost nothing. It's kind of nineteen eighties prices. And you can get there really cheaply and easily. We flew out to Stettin in the west of poland went all the way along to um sopot and gdansk in the uh east and that was just a, a, a perfect perfect holiday and it's it's great fun but um, it, it, to answer the question where do i go on holiday um anywhere frankly and there there is no boundary no frontier between holiday and work because i well i think i probably spend my entire life on holiday pretending to work uh, occasionally during a holiday, I will have to work, and occasionally during a holiday, I will have exactly the same sorts of problems as everyone else. So you remember the volcanic ash cloud twenty ten?
1: I do. It almost disrupted my wedding. Oh, I was going. Oh yeah. I was having to ship or not ship fly 80 people to Malaga and we were really really concerned and there were BA strikes at the time as well. Oh yeah, cabin crew
0: dispute. Yes
1: there were a whole load of things going on Mm. and luckily it went without a hit. Now Mm. I know you had problems though didn't you?
0: Yeah I was I'd flown over as a, a scheduled passenger to Norway on SAS and I came back as freight on a container ship. Um, which was a good good way of getting out. Um, I, I was actually, uh, John Cleese, you might remember at the time, hired a taxi in Oslo and said, take me to London. And that cost him, I think, thousands of pounds. Mine was, I think, 150 quid. It did end up in Immingham, which is, the far side of Grimsby I didn't know there was anything on the far side of Grimsby I've never
1: heard of Immingham
0: um big shout out to the, everyone in Immingham then I had to make my way back from there but it was it was fine it's uh, generally it was, it's all fine
1: I've done that before on the way back from Paris where the Eurostar train there was an electrical mm. fault with the tunnel and I realized that with about a thousand people on each trains yeah. and loads of trains backing up we were never going to get out of there so I got off at it's Lille is it Lille but, yeah. yeah I got off at Lille got a taxi to, to the ferry no <laughs> yeah. got Tricky. a ferry to dover got dover to train to london and then ultimately down to brighton it took i uh, got back at one o'clock in the morning instead of midday or something but everyone else was still on the train yes. and being bussed around and trying to find local hotels and in awful uh,
0: oh, oh absolutely i imagine that was was not the cheapest way of getting out but it's always good if you in the case of disruption
1: if you just want to get home sometimes yeah. you just got to get home yeah. and,
0: and, and also don't always well, while of course you need to listen to what your train company or your airline is saying I mean on the Eurostar as well I got stuck the wrong side of a fisherman's strike or something in Calais when they were blocking the Eurostar line so I was stuck in Lille as well and they said right we're booking you on a train at tea time tomorrow and I just thought I'm not going to do that I'm going to get to the station at five o'clock in the morning and just get on the first one and i did that similarly british airways we got diverted to paris on the way to Heathrow, and they said oh yeah um you know rebook online but actually going along to the airport next day and just saying i'm here can you fly me that sort of worked so um
1: do you keep tally on how many countries you've been to
0: no do you
1: yeah i did i can't remember what it was now but you must have been to a hundred surely
0: i shouldn't think so i don't know i've never counted
1: would you be able to count now
0: yeah i mean i can remember all the places i've been to but i haven't
1: I need I you to make a count and then
0: tweet us later. Well, no, that, that's kind of you. I don't I, look. I don't know if I would, and maybe we're straying into the into the philosophy of travel. But but uh, I am a mathematician by by training, so you might think, oh well, it's good to have a number. But I don't know. Travel travel cannot be quantified like that. You can't say Scotland is a ten uh, is a five star country and Belgium's a four star country. You can't you can't do that. And and I don't think you can say, oh, I've travelled more, and by implication, better than you, because I've been to 47 countries and you've only been to 32. I yeah, don't know if you absolutely. do absolutely, and I think uh, there's
1: nothing... And I like the fact that you're not snotty about travel, and I'm not really snotty about travel. I think there's no shame in going for a week, a package holiday in Tenerife, you know, compared to some exotic resort?
0: Oh, or I, I would say that, that, that generally it's better to go for a package holiday to Tenerife than almost all of the trips that I tried, which are slightly more adventurous because they, they tend to go quite wrong and um, and, and Tenerife always beckons and the great thing about Tenerife since you mention it, as you know there's so much there you, you can climb Spain's highest mountain Teide, you have to sort out permits and things but that's a great thing to do some astonishing Walking on the northwestern side, there's day hikes there you can do, which are, frankly, the compare of anything anywhere in, in Europe. And, and, of course, you've got Playa Las Americas and Los Cristianos. It's there if you
1: want it, uh, isn't Puerto,
0: it? Uh, yeah, and, and also, I mean, you've got a proper, proper city, Santa Cruz. Therefore, it's um, everything you want. It's it's a, a kind of almost a perfect little country. Ditto uh, Gran Canaria, which, in a sense, has even more... Appealing history. I don't know. They're all great. Uh, El Hierro. I don't know if you've been there. Have you? I haven't you? been to El Okay, it was one of the relatively few that you can't fly to direct, along with Gomera. But El Hierro is just is where they used to put the meridian, saying this is the end of Europe. Stop here. It's zero degrees because well, you could go over there, but frankly, you probably <laughs> fall off. So, um, so don't. Yeah, the Canaries went yeah. on
1: my radar at all until I had kids, and life ah. has changed. You know, I was too busy going to the. Southeast Ooh. Asia and all these uh, exotic places. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad it got, I got it out of the way because I certainly don't want to go to any of those long... I don't want to take a mm. five-year-old, for example, to India at the moment. I just can't deal with the pressure. You see families when I was there. Yeah. I, you know, I saw families in remote places in cambodia or vietnam or but i i don't want to do that it, personally.
0: it can work for families you've got to be really careful you've got to listen to the kids because if, if your kids are traumatized by travel then they're not going to enjoy it which would be a terrible thing because as you know and i know it is perhaps the the greatest gift of the 21st century is that we are able to travel far and wide at costs relative to incomes which is way lower than anything else
1: Travel has changed though, hasn't it? What do you think of the whole Instagram generation where the place and the the visual aspect seems to be a little bit more important, what they're portraying to their viewing public than it is actually experiencing? It's
0: great. It's all communications, it's all contact. Now, it used to be the case that uh, the sole form of communication was just one way you would send a postcard and that that, the postcard is not yet completely dead um i wish more uh,
1: people would send me postcards
0: i love postcards uh, in fact
1: i'm going to do a shout out to get postcards we've got listeners in 80 different countries yeah. on the podcast i should get a try and get everyone i'd find i'll find an address and try and get people to send us some postcards
0: uh, yeah, very yes find an address, yeah. my home yes. address <laughs> people can find you in, in two seconds <laughs> online but but uh, an actual physical address where you send a postcard it's great and and i don't suppose anybody listening to this will remember post restante where if you were going off on a great long trip through Southeast Asia or Latin America or whatever, people could contact you, but you would need to say, I think I'm going to be in Lima on the in the third week in February, so please, if you've got anything to say, send it in a letter to Post Restante in Lima, and you go along there, join a great long queue of other gringos with your passport, and they'd sort through and um, you know, it'd be under... It might be under C for Calder, or it might be under S for Simon, or indeed... Um, Something uh,
1: completely different. Uh,
0: <laughs> I for Inglés, yes. So, oh, that um, sounds
1: amazing. I wish so, that still happened.
0: Well, I think in theory it may still happen, but um, it was a wonderful way of communicating because, you know, it's just one of these things. Is there going to be a letter for me, isn't it? Oh, it's very Where's very the exciting. most
1: uh, remote place you've been to? Oh,
0: um That's a very good question. Depends how you define remote. Um, South Georgia, probably. Um, But that's that's quite a long way from anywhere, even the Falklands. Um, And it is this miraculous island. Very, very long, very rugged. And of course, this is where Ernest Shackleton ended up crashing into the wrong side of the island, and then climbing across this astonishing mountain range after a forty-day, it might be twenty, it might be sixty-day journey, when they were just guessing that probably if they carried on long enough, they they reached South Georgia, and then climbed over the, the this astonishing mountain range, having been living on seals for weeks, and made their way to town and rescued everybody. It was the possibly the greatest uh, travel story ever, and you really do feel as though. There's not much else. I mean, I know people can get to the South Pole, and well, maybe that would be a nice thing to do one day. But it's not not very scenic, from what I understand. It's not very culturally rich, and those two things are sort of quite important. And probably the food's rubbish as well. Is there uh, any
1: time you've been you've felt scared or out of your comfort zone? When you're
0: oh shopping? yeah, but that's that's part of the fun, isn't it? It's um. It's fun, um, it's part of the experience all the time. Yes, I mean, since I was six and went with the Woodcraft Folk, a great youth organisation, still going and um, soon to celebrate its 100th anniversary to the Lake District. My lovely Lake parents decided, I mean, that my mum always had this fantastic rule, which was if you haven't heard anything uh, to the contrary, everything is sure to be all right and that was great and and it's such a difference now from the way that and I don't know if you're like this yeah you need to be aware of where your children where your family are at all times she just thought oh well they'll they'll, they'll probably be all right and I'll hear if they're not and that was great and so she sent me and my very slightly elder sister who was seven to the Lake District on on a Woodcraft folk trip and There we were, and I wandered off and got lost and had to find my way back, and everything that was very uncomfortable, I recall. But it all sort of worked out all right since. And I suppose the other one would be, How's how's your fear of heights?
1: It's not that bad, actually. Uh, Okay, well, it's not like I've climbed Kilimanjaro or anything, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, I've got a terrible fear of heights, and I do climb high mountains, I think, to try to get past that and it is sort of working it's taking a bit of time as you can tell but mount kenya which is the one and this this is a a fantastic um, geographical phenomenon the highest view you can have in the world if you so the longest view you can have in the world is from the top of kilimanjaro to the top of mount kenya or vice versa it's 200 miles and because they are both standing proud of the kind of the flat ground in between you can see that that distance so that's quite a thing but it would have been um, about half a dozen people fall off Mount Kenya every year and I was really keen not to be one of them (laughs) oh well and here's something you could do which I would strongly recommend everybody who's listening to because you can do it and you might think I can't do that but you can you can be the highest person in the world and you do that by climbing Aconcagua which is in Argentina close to the Chilean border and it's the highest mountain outside the Himalayas I think it's what 23,000 feet I can't remember seemed quite a long way and in December or January which is the only time you can climb it there isn't anybody climbing really high mountains in the Himalayas so by definition if you get to the top you're the highest person in the world even though you you come from Crawley or um wherever and you're not particularly fit but you don't need to be it's just a matter of plodding 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 there's very very few places you could fall off and i didn't and uh in altitude terms i was out of my comfort zone because you do really have to acclimatize and there's checks all the time to see how well you're you're coping with the altitude but D- uh,
1: describe to me what, it, what it's like what does it look like i've only ever been to buenos aires i haven't climbed oh, any oh okay
0: well argentina. the the uh, argentina what a great great country mm, they're having it. a terrible time Economically, at the moment, but hopefully that will result in them sorting out their currency and everybody going to to Argentina. Cause...
1: Oh, it's been it's been trouble. The, when I went, it was um, just after the crash. I forget what year it was, but the currency was still really really low and i remember wandering around the shops and thinking because the dollar sign is the same as the u.s dollar sign and i was thinking oh that's you know looking in windows trying to gauge the sort of prices, thinking oh that's that's okay you know more expensive than i thought it was but then i realized it was the local currency and it was three times as as low as i thought it was so we, we realized we were rich you know we were going into the best restaurants in buenos aires and they were dusting down bottles of wine from the shelf and we were like what's your most expensive bottle oh, of wine? We didn't no. actually say that because it makes make it sound like mm. idiots. But looking at mm. the menu, it's like, let's get that one. That's mm. 14 quid. We could afford the best bottle of wine in this very, very posh restaurant. Oh, fantastic. And people were just treating us like gods. It felt amazing. Obviously, it wasn't very good for the local people who had lost all their money, but um, it meant for a very good trip for us.
0: Yeah. And, and well, maybe, uh, just before we get on to, to the rest of Argentina, let's just pause on that point because it's so important. You might feel as though you're exploiting countries which are Uh, recovering from economic catastrophe or indeed from from uh, warfare but actually by being a tourist you are doing lots of virtuous things you're you're bringing uh, foreign exchange which is very useful you're creating jobs because you're demanding uh, meals and accommodation and so on so tourism is generally a pretty good way of transferring wealth from richer countries to poorer countries and doing good stuff i mean it can go to extremes and it can but uh, but if the, if the local which you've seen in the whole over tourism debate in barcelona and dubrovnik and mm. uh, santorini and so on but that's i think for the local residents via their local governments to control yeah it's yeah, a hard one up. i mean i
1: know we'll get back to your mountain in a minute but you've got the beach in thailand at the moment where yeah. the beach was filmed and that's just been closed for several months which i think is a a great very brave decision, because they will lose a lot of revenue, but they 'll lose a hell of a lot more revenue if everything gets completely destroyed and people don't want to go back there yes,
0: uh, you do have to ask what were they what were they thinking when they allowed things to get quite so awful, and whether the, when it finally reopens, you actually put a kind of cost element in and say you 're not allowed to go to coP until you 've paid a uh, hundred dollars or something, and what the morality of that is. But you know, the, the local community has uh, holds all the cards. It can do what it wants. It can, it, as in the case of Barcelona, ban Airbnbs um, mm. on an industrial scale. And what's, you know, what I'm hearing has been happening in Barcelona is that you get a an apartment block, and people who previously invested in hotels would invest in a, an apartment block and just say we're going to let it all out on Airbnb, and that obviously distorts the local economy. But you, you know they've got all the levers they can. They can control that.
1: So you're up a mountain in Argentina. What was uh, it like? You well, became the highest person in the world.
0: Yeah, uh, which, is, which is quite surprising. So Argentina, most of it very kind of low-lying, which is why you've got such fantastic stakes. In the uh, West, you, you run up against the Andes. And once it starts getting high, then you get to beautiful city of Mendoza and all the wonderful wine lands around there, and then you go on for a, a hundred miles or so, and there's a sort of turn off saying Aconcagua that way. It's not the most appealing mountain you could ever imagine. It's bleak. It's just raw rock. And you just plod your way up it. And, and Are
1: you climbing? Are you physically climbing? Do you need, you ah, know, have you got ropes and no, things? Or is it a bit like No, no, ben no, it's Nevis a long old walk. No, long no, old no, sorry, Snowdonia.
0: Mean... <laughs> no, Ben Nevis. Ben Nevis, ben Snow, Nevis yeah, it, yeah, Ben Nevis. Uh, well, mm. I think Snowdonia so as well. You yeah, can perfectly happily walk up without mm. anything. Um, base camp is quite funny because I can't remember what you had. Maybe... 11,000 feet and it's a real kind of shanty town but with it yeah there's all, all good fun and then you just keep plodding you've got your tent you have to make lots and lots of repeat journeys partly because you've got to put supplies higher up in order to be there when you, you start climbing but mostly just to uh, adjust to the very thin atmosphere and then you just have to be lucky with the weather and uh, I was and I got there and 25 minutes after we got to the top. I was there with a friend of mine called Graham and his partner, Gina. Uh, he climbs proper mountains like Everest. Um, so I had no idea what he was doing, asking me along. But we got there, took all the photos, looked around. And yes, you can see the rest of the world laid out before you. And then the snow came in and the very good rangers on the uh, on the mountain just said, "All right, everybody down, they just led us all down to um, safety. And then I you know, dare say it was closed for another three weeks or something after that so
1: is it exhilarating exhilarating that's a
0: very good word no because you're very very weary i mean you've got up at three o'clock in the morning after having a terrible night's sleep because there's three of you sharing a tent intended for two people you've then had one of the toughest days of your life physically just in terms of climbing up and it gradually steepens and then the, the the kind of rock turns to to rubble and so you're clambering up there and it's awful and so, and also you're thinking, ooh, what's that? Oh, it's snow coming in. So you're thinking, ooh, how do I get out of that? When it's great is when you get back to something you've recognised as civilisation, which in my case was the fine city of Santiago across the border in Chile. And then you just go out for a steak and a glass of wine. And you think, oh, oh the wine's lovely. Yeah, uh, you just think that was, um, that was an adventure. And you also, it helps put things in context. So it really doesn't matter. I didn't miss beer. I didn't miss being online. Uh, Of course, I missed the big travel podcast. Although, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) it didn't exist then. So, but if it had done, I certainly would have missed it. But I would have luckily taken lots of downloads and listened to them. And it's just, just, yeah, you just switch off for a while. uh, Switch off, or you're always just, yeah, you're all just contemplating this, this, this target. So it focuses everything. It comes down to just. Getting to the top of this thing.
1: I've got this visual. I think you should team up with Bear Grylls and maybe do a Simon Calder Bear no, Grylls No, because he's proper. He's proper. <laughs> no,
0: he's a proper person. I'm. I'm. I'm look. I, I, I'm
1: going to. I'm going to propose that to the well, people. Well, that's very nice. But, but he's channel. a
0: professional. Yeah, I'm just. Um, I'm very keen in being an enthusiastic amateur. Because lots of other people can be enthusiastic amateurs too, and do these things. You would be great at it. You, uh, you'd scamper up in. I'm more in about a couple the, uh, of days. I'm
1: more about the family travel these days. Those uh, are the only commissions I'm taking. I want to. Uh, I want to take them on experiences as well. I want to see the Northern Lights, which I've yeah. never seen. I want Ooh. to, you know, do sort of family experiences. Yeah. That Galapagos. I'd love to take my boys to because they're big animal fans.
0: Right. Okay. Um, I thought you were going to say big animals. Yeah, um, <laughs> they are uh, big animals. As uh, well, right. Okay. So, so Northern Lights. I've been lucky enough to see them a few times. I absolutely, unreservedly recommend the following. It's not the cheapest holiday you're going to have, but it's hugely subsidised by the nice Norwegian government. So it's very you nice of them. fly to Bergen in Norway, which you can do relatively cheaply. And you get on the Hurtigruten, uh, which means coastal express. And it's this ferry every night that ferry departs from Bergen. It takes 12 days to sail around to Kirkenes, right by the Russian border. So it's a long old way and it sails all the way back. And this is a social service it's public transport for all these coastal communities but if they didn't have brits paying pretty good rates on it it would be empty so they give us a really really good deal you get all your fantastic food and the food on board is great and you get to enjoy the the superb coastal scenery and you get to see all these lovely communities And you get the Northern Lights to the extent that if you don't see the Northern Lights, if you're going at a sensible time, and that's my view, end of October, end of February, because that means you get Northern Lights plus fantastic scenery. If you don't see them, then they'll give you another cruise. So um, that sounds
1: amazing. That's the thing when now you've got kids in tow, it's it's four tickets when you go anywhere. You know, I used to go many places on my own and also go on press trips and things, but family travel gets so expensive
0: because of that. Well, except I'm that the. the prospect of finding a ticket to Norway for fifty quid—if you go back twenty, twenty-five years—that that was simply Yes, you know, yeah we're very lucky five hundred pounds. So yes, it's so, only
1: comparatively expensive yeah. year on year. You know, decade after decade, it's got cheaper thanks to budget yeah. airlines and the democratization, I guess, of travel. Democratization—that's
0: exactly what's happened. And of course, um, <laughs> the media has, has also become democratized, and that's very good. And um, that's why Instagram. To answer your earlier question. And um, uh, everything else, WhatsApping uh, your your nearest and dearest and saying here we are is great.
1: It is indeed. So I got I I got my people to speak to your people, which is just <laughs> me emailing you and your wife. Uh, it's nothing glamorous like that, just to get a few highlights because I just thought, where do I start with Simon in his travel? So I've got a few quickfire questions tell me about crawley and the cuban missile
0: crisis uh the, right crawley wasn't directly involved in the cuban missile crisis but this uh event in 1962 was when the soviet union as then was thought oh tell you what we've got this close friend in the uh in the shape of cuba we could put some nuclear missiles there and then they'd be really close to america who we hate so let's do that then President Kennedy said, oh, we know what you're up to because we've got good reconnaissance aircraft. At the time, the satellites weren't so good. Um, So please stop it. And the world held its breath. Now, I was six, so therefore I wasn't exactly holding my breath. But what I did know was that my parents had worked out that Crawley had a a missile with its name on it. Not specifically because of uh, antipathy towards this um, lovely Sussex Newtown, but because it was very close to Gatwick Airport, we were, I was born and brought up two miles from the runway. So therefore, if they're gonna target Gatwick Airport, that would be inconvenient for the family. So they looked at how far away can we afford to get, and the answer was beautiful Guernsey in the Channel Islands. So we all flew off there. And going from, you know, uh, the idea of a holiday might be on a really, really good summer you might get as far as Dorset, to getting into an aeroplane and flying to an island was just the most exciting thing.
1: Was that where you got the travel bug, do you think?
0: I think I got that slightly earlier if uh, I was born in a house on the A23. (laughs) It's great Um, for transport links. Well, yeah, and and two miles from from Gatwick Airport. So we used to go to the airport, obviously not to get on a plane, just to have a look at the uh, what was going on because it was all very exciting and if you come from Crawley you kind of suspect that the world may have more to offer so um
1: (laughs) Crawley's perfect like that it's pretty shit and (laughs) it's got great transport links the airport the motorways it's brilliant
0: I suppose so yes
1: so your first job was one of your first jobs was frisking people at Gatwick airport
0: well just before that I was a cleaner and that was that was good in the olden days when you didn't need much in the way of security and yeah, I was, I was cleaning cleaner for british airways you just wander onto the airfield and wander onto the plane. So i can't believe that we were allowed to do it but then things got you know people started hijacking planes not from gatwick but security became a thing and so i started i got a job at the um the airport frisking people and again you just think oh these lucky people flying off and having fantastic times and because the cost of aviation was so expensive you thought Well, I'm never going to be able to do this. So, first time I went to Spain, 1975. I finished work at uh, the airport, frisking people. I then got on a train to New Haven. I got on a ferry to France. I then hitchhiked all the way down to, um, to Spain because clearly it was the only way to get there. Um, that's what we
1: did actually when i meant to mo- we w- moved to spain in 1981 and i was i was six years old we got the coach down my mum, dad and two children spent no. three days getting the coach down that's how we moved there no from the north of england to malaga yeah
0: oh my goodness uh, me. well we didn't yeah. we
1: couldn't afford the flights and uh, that's how you i think more people were flying then but you know we yeah. weren't but they were campers and uh, camper van people so they, yeah. they were used to that sort of thing <laughs> getting mugged in costa rica
0: Oh, um, yeah, that that's it's, it's annoying when you get attacked and mugged and, and yes, stuff abroad. Is. Luckily, it doesn't happen very often. Um, it didn't happen on my birthday, so I was born on Christmas Day, and this was Christmas Day 1999, and Charlotte, my lovely wife, um, we had, didn't have any children at the time, so we were travelling the length of the Pan American Highway through Central America, and we got to San Jose on Christmas Eve, thanks to a super brilliant lift down through the mountains um, from the Nicaraguan border. And right, Christmas Day, it's going to be really busy. i got up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the bus station, as listed in the rough guide, to buy my uh, our tickets down to the Panamanian border. And I um, went to the bus station, found a security guard who said, yeah, you're the 17th person this week to come here. Uh, the bus station has moved. It's now across town and i looked at my map and i thought right well i'll cut across this slightly dodgy area of course which was never a good thing to do um and uh, the, the, I, this guy came up behind me grabbed me by the throat and um i just thought hang on he's not grabbing by the throat very well so i managed to <laughs> yank his arm away and then just ran but it was um uh, upsetting i got finally to the bus station because i didn't abandon my mission at this stage and they said you're yeah, too late senor all the tickets are gone so um we had
1: fun. Happy that day. Christmas! <laughs> well, it was Christmas
0: day, but no, anyway, things worked out really well because we thought, right, we're going to carry on hitching, and we were racing the bus all the way down, and in fact, beating it. You've that had per- a few
1: hitches while hitching. I've got uh, listing here in my uh, my list of suggestions: hanging onto the back of a dust cart in Turkey, hitching into someone's garage by accident, getting a lift in a digger in Greece and getting a lift in the boot of a car in
0: Germany. Oh, yeah, the last two were really quite recent in Greece, maybe five summers ago. We'd all gone off to the beautiful island of Poros with the family and I thought, I've got to do a day of independent travel so I went, got the ferry across to Idra and then the boat across to the mainland and all I needed to do was hitch back but it was a really, really, really terrible day for hitchhiking and I ended up m- walking for miles, and got a lift in the digger of a, or in the bucket bit of a truck, and that was fine. It took me for about five miles or so, and I was very grateful for it. Not the most glamorous way to travel, but there we are. And then they,
1: they knew you were in there. You went to
0: stowaway. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> they, they did. Uh, they thought it was quite funny, and they luckily kept it low. If they decided, oh, let's see how high it can go with him. Uh, that might have so be been bit quite blurry. fun. Then, well, another kind and careful driver. A couple of years ago, Neuschwanstein in Bavaria, right uh, in southern Germany, just by the Austrian border, uh, where Mad King Ludwig built his castle. It is just one of the supreme joys of Europe, and I urge you to go and see it. But it's so popular, particularly with tourists from the Far East, that you have to get to Neuschwanstein first thing in the morning, nine o'clock, and they'll say, Right, you can go and see this castle now, this one now. Uh, the first one we've got tickets for is six o'clock. For, for the main castle so okay and then again well, maybe i just shouldn't wander off on my own i wandered off on my own with a dodgy map i got lost five to six i was over a mile away at the bottom of the hill with the castle at the top of the hill and no way of going there knowing this was the last tour and we were leaving first thing next morning so it's my only chance ever and the only way i was going to get there was if i was hitching and look here comes a blue mercedes estate and the blue mercedes estate stopped and i could see that there was absolutely no room in it it was bung full of people and baggage But the driver, realising that I was in some distress, said, tell you what, why don't you stand on the bumper at the back and um, (laughs) uh, we'll drive you up to the top. So I did. I stood on the bumper. There's a handy piece of trim you can hang on to. And we drove up to the top. He dropped me off, and I ran in literally as the door was closing. So, so many good people out there. And a very good way to discover how many there are is by hitching.
1: It's lovely that people are still hitching. I mean, how many people do you think are still out there doing it, apart from you? I mean, obviously you can't count them, but well, do you think it's still no, quite. No, I can common? count them. I, I've got
0: to <laughs> two so far. That's me and um, Tony Wheeler, the founder of Lonely Planet, who's oh, even yeah. older than me. It all depends. In Eastern Europe, coming out of Ljubljana on a Friday evening, lots and lots of hitchhikers and last year in scotland i i got, found myself in a queue of hitchhikers leaving ullapool so there's a few people doing it. And, and look in the olden days in crawley i did it because it was the only economic way of getting anywhere which is why you ended up on a bus going to malaga now i do it if there is no alternative and quite often that's the case so i was in hadrian's wall which is a lovely place you finish walking up sort of four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon I needed to get to the north of Scotland no way of doing it by public transport so all you can do is hitch up the a68 and the a9 and then you get there but what's changed is that with stuff online makes it so much easier so night was falling we were approaching Aviemore and I could with my phone actually think oh hang on I've got to find a B&B find one and then with the map, just say, "Oh, uh, drop me off here if you could. I'm going to stay in the in the B and So
1: people to, must think now, because you're so well known, do people not go? I'm going to say that's Simon Calder. I'm going to give him a lift. Obviously, not in Bavaria.
0: <laughs> uh, no, normally they drive drive past that to ever increasing rate, and they're, they're, they're <laughs> oh, God, look at Simon
1: Calder and not well, picking
0: him up. <laughs> no, but I get mistaken for other people. So therefore, that the generally huge disappointment when they discover I'm not who they thought I was. Who do so, they think you are? Nicholas Crane who does the coast program he's very good oh, indeed yes, you should see the way people's faces sink when i say oh, i'm so sorry it's not me <laughs> um to the extent that i've now started sort of signing his name if they if they if it's really going to upset them i will sign yeah, his hi, name yeah hi i'm nicholas and louis theroux oddly really yeah quite i don't know why I'm louis just,
1: theroux yes I suppose you're tall. Yeah,
0: uh, but anyway, people... no, people, <laughs> I, 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 and I'm often accosted, but I suspect it's because people think I owe them money or something. Anyway. <laughs> <you are.
1: laughs> Talking of money, I've only got a couple more questions, but Ooh. the man who pays his way, how does that work? I mean, I know as a, a travel professional that I uh, certainly, not travelling, doing it so much at the moment, but I used to go on a lot of paid press trips and sometimes these are by the tourist boards, but in my case, a lot of the time it was paid by luxury hotels who want mm. you to write nice things about them and I've got no qualms about that because they've they're always really nice there's only one time that I felt I couldn't give someone a review and that was this hotel in the Maldives which was just riddled with mosquitoes and I wanted to leave imagine wanting to leave the Maldives I went to a beautiful hotel in the Maldives and wrote that up instead and that was all very well so I don't I'm quite partial I know you're very impartial but a lot of travel writers are partial because they are taken to these beautiful places and shown the best sides of it well and the places are wonderful now the man who pays his way was your idea for the independent and you you paid your way basically, you didn't accept freebies. Is that still what you're doing, and how yeah.
0: does it work? Oh, well, look, uh, if I give you a bit of background, The Independent, when it started in 1986, always had a no freebies policy. And uh, the great Frank Barrett, the uh, travel editor there, originally hired me to do some writing because I didn't take any free trips. That wasn't actually because I thought oh, I'm going to be holier than thou, I'm going to not take any free trips. It's because nobody would give me any. <laughs> so therefore, um, it was it was quite straightforward. Um, he then left, and they, um, in, a, in a moment of madness in 1994, gave me his job. And of course, there was still no freebies, no freebies, no freebies, and that was fine because I, I kind of quite like that sort of travel and things. The more. You travel in the same way as everyone else, the more things go horribly wrong, so you've got lots to write about. Then, in 2000 and I think maybe 2000 or 2003 or something, the travel section at the Independent expanded so much that it simply wouldn't work. You couldn't fill the pages and have people who didn't take uh, free trips, so uh, the policy changed, but mine didn't. And therefore, in order to sort of say that, this slogan was devised. I can't think, I can't remember by whom, and that's what I've continued to do do i hope it doesn't sound as though i'm being critical or or pious or anything it's just it's it's a, a difference and there we are but you and lots and lots of other people write great stuff on the basis of trips where you haven't paid for stuff
1: and i think you can trust there's a, a massive debate going online at the moment probably something you don't read but in net there's a huge debate about instagram influences mainly mummy mm. bloggers as they're called and yeah. what they say they've been given or gifted or hashtag ad and how ethical it is for them to suddenly be getting these very expensive designer handbags Mm. and some of them have been holidays when their followers initially followed them because Mm. they're like talking about their mummy lives or whatever it is mummy bloggers talk about with travel the travel industry I don't have the same ethical issues because you are going to beautiful places and I know many many travel writers and no one has ever given a great review to somewhere that they don't believe in so I think you can although it is sponsored and paid for most of the time not with you obviously I think you can trust them oh yes
0: of of course there's great travel writers out there I, I have the greatest admiration for but it's a, it's a, just a point of difference. I agree that oh, well, I mean, I think the way that social media has democratized travel writing is fantastic. Competition is a very very good thing, and uh, opening up um, the whole world of blogging to is is terrific and it's great. The way that people seize those opportunities, I think all the public wants to know is what's the uh, how did this this come about? If you've uh, as it says at the end of your articles and broadcasts and so on, you know travelled as a guest of that's fine i can i can then draw my own conclusions it's just when it that's not not entirely clear that possibly an issue.
1: Transparency is the key. Transparency, isn't there, that's yeah. the word, yes. Mm. Why don't I just say transparency? Much quicker. I'm coming up with transparency, d- yeah. democratisation. Yeah. I can barely say these words normally. Before I ask you my last question, do you think there's anything I've missed?
0: Ah, is okay. That sounds like the uh, Inland Revenue, isn't it, or ah. Yeah. Is there anything you need to tell us about?
1: Nope, nothing uh, at all. Well,
0: <laughs> yes, there is. And it's, I, I think it's really important, but you'll be the judge of that. I'm a mathematician, I look at numbers in terms of risk the whole time, and I am so, so grateful that we are living at the safest time ever to be travellers. And that's that's actually, it, it, it's almost banal what's happened, but generally, very sadly, about 600 people who can be classed as holidaymakers or travellers die abroad every year, British people. That's been constant Pretty much for the last 25, 30 years. And yet, the numbers of travelling have almost doubled in that time. And so, therefore, the risks are reducing all the time. And it's largely due to better road safety in places like Spain and Portugal and France and so on. So, we're safer than we've ever been. And yet, I think a lot of people perceive exactly the opposite, which things are more dangerous than they've ever been. And that's such a shame if it stops people travelling to wonderful places and opening up their eyes to great things that are happening terrorism is terrible the attacks we've seen on tourists are unspeakably awful but they are so incredibly rare that dwelling on them is like dwelling on the risk of flying you know aviation if if you're lucky enough to be in the uk you have access to the safest aviation in the world it's a fantastic time to be a traveler Worry about crossing the road, particularly if you're on your phone or you're Instagramming. Worry about accidents in water. Don't worry about anything else. Just go out there and see the world.
1: I love that. I think you're right. It's the 24-hour news culture. We're far more aware of things that go on these days. And it has made people a little bit maybe more risk-averse. And it is a wonderful time for travel. It's cheaper than it's ever been comparatively. The world is more open than it has been and and i agree with you so my last question and i know nothing about your taste in music so this Ah. is very interesting my last question is always about music Mm. because to me music and travel go hand in hand people listen to music a lot when they're traveling you have more time Mm. and the question is if you had to pick one song
0: Mm. that reminds
1: you of a time and a place of travel that evokes some beautiful memories or something funny or anything stand out what would that song be? Oh,
0: undoubtedly Can't Help But Wonder Where I'm Bound by Tom Paxton okay um uh there's great lines in it nail my boots to the kitchen floor lace them up and bolt the door uh in order to stop people traveling um and this is only because it's the worst worst holiday ever i booked it i was solely responsibility responsible for it i booked the family to go on an incredibly expensive arctic cruise with a company called adventure traveler uh, adventure canada we started in greenland the bit in greenland was fine, and then we got on the boat and everything went downhill from there we didn't end up going to two-thirds of the places we were supposed to that my lovely daughters could, on this boat which was sailing around in circles for days on end with no internet could not have been nicer but they had a <laughs> I'll use the term loosely, a talent night, and so I, I just um, got up and I sang. Can't help but wonder where I'm bound. But I don't think anybody got the joke.
1: <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast, Simon Calder. <laughs> Fantastic. How did <are> you do it? <laughs> oh, it was you're lovely. So good at this. Thank you so much, Simon, and thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. Like I said, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes and write us a nice review and make sure you subscribe from whatever podcast app you're using. It would be much appreciated. Looking forward to seeing you again soon.